And if you take your Bibles now and turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we're going to start the reading this morning um, as we go through this Gospel of Mark. Um, remembering to look as we go through it for who Jesus, the Son of God, is. Alright, remember that's the, that was the purpose Mark mentioned at the beginning of the, of the Gospel. And it's good for us to see who the real Jesus is because there are lots of, of false Jesuses being represented around us today. And so it's good to see who the real Jesus is. And we see him here in his word in Mark chapter 3, starting with the 13th verse this morning. Jesus went up into the hills and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I, as we, before we continue, I wish you could have seen Nora's face when she was trying to figure out, should I really say this or not? But she did. It was so awesome. And I'm so, I was so excited that they knew almost all of these guys. Um, praise the Lord. Continuing. Verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact... No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying... He has an evil spirit. Now I want to I want to talk about these two sections together because of the way they're tied together through the apostles one of the one of the parts of the apostles ministry which was to drive out evil spirits. We see a, a, a close connection in that 
and the immediate ministry that Jesus had in the crowded house. But first, let's think for a few minutes about Jesus' strategy in appointing 12 men to do this work of being with him, of preaching, and of casting out demons. As, as I was sharing with the children, he didn't have to do this. Uh, Jesus has proven himself capable as the creator in a complete vacuum where no one else was around, where no one else was there to help him. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit together were able to take care of a lot of things without any help from any people. When Jesus comes in the flesh, he decides, as he decided in the Old Testament before he came in the flesh, to use his prophets as his servants, he now decides to appoint these 12 men to do this special work. These guys are very special. The word of God that we have, the New Testament, comes through them. And as the kids mentioned, there were a few other names like Mark, the the writer of this gospel, like Luke, the writer of the next gospel, and others who are closely associated with with the apostles. In this case, Mark is so closely associated with the apostles that his gospel is considered to be the word of God as if it were written by an apostle himself. So the apostles and their close companions are critical people in the in the development that, that Jesus chose for his church. Here we are, over 2,000 years later, reading the account probably that Peter gave to Mark, although Mark had close association with a number of the apostles, but this is probably most most closely related to Peter's story of the Lord Jesus. And here we are this morning, because of the authority that Jesus gave to those apostles, because of, of the ministry that he gave them, we're reading their words this morning. Now, remember, he didn't have to do this. He could have written it himself. He could have taken, he could have taken care of all that. But he chose in his wisdom, by the plan that he had set out in eternity past, he decided to use people. The apostles, again, special people, men, um, that, that he decided not only to, to use as an integral part of his ministry in the first century, but that ministry continues through his word. And we see in Revelation, I mentioned to the children, I'll mention the, the, the reference so you can look at it later. In Revelation 21.14, it says that we're going to be thinking about the apostles for all eternity also. Not only are they going to be there, but their names are going to be written on the foundations of the new city. Um, along with the gates being a reminder of the of the tribes of Israel, so we see that 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 continued connection between Israel and the church as he as he brings them together for all eternity. These apostles are key men, not only for their for their time period, not only for our time period, but also for eternity. But it's also a great reminder for us when we think of him appointing these twelve, how he was using them, how he continues to use people today. Now again, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that we're on the same level as the apostles. But as we look through the New Testament, we see that God has called us also. As Mark was, was leading us in prayer this morning for some specific people that have some specific jobs to do around the world right now. Zambia and Madagascar. You know, people that, that, that we have connection with. That are, that are serving Him around the world. We also have the opportunity to serve in our place. Mark, Mark mentioned that this morning. We need to recognize, as, as Jesus chose his apostles, so he's also chosen us 
to represent him wherever we are. The Apostle Paul uh, referred to himself and his companions as ambassadors for Christ. Again, with the same understanding that we have today of ambassadors, people from one place who go to another place to represent their home place. That's what we are. Our home place now is heaven. Those of us who have put our trust in Christ. We're sent here, living here in, in this area, the Alpharetta coming, Canton area, Johns Creek you know, area. We're sent here to represent him in this place. Now again, we don't do so with the authority of the apostles other than the fact that our word that we give, the message that we share, is the word of the apostles. And so everything that we do is somehow connected all the way back to Jesus choosing these guys. Now, as Nor mentioned, there was a problem with one of them. All right? Mark mentions it too. His, in his description, and, and Judas Iscariot, he's the only one that has this, this statement, who betrayed him. It was, a, it was a, a more severe betrayal than that betrayal even of Peter, who also betrayed him in a, in a sense. But Judas ultimate, ultimately betrayed him, leading his um, enemies uh, to arrest him. We see Judas referred to in the psalm that, that um, Dan read this morning, Psalm 109. Some of you are thinking, why did we read that this morning? I don't, you know, it was, it was, it's a Psalm of David and, and the fact that he was, he was under attack from people. Well, David often represents the Lord Jesus Christ. He's referred to as a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And so there, as David was, was, was sharing in his Psalm the, the, the attacks that he was facing from those around him, he was also representing what Jesus was going to face in Judas himself working against him. Until finally, he was going to be gone and he was going to need to be replaced. And that's what that, that um, eighth verse represent, uh, is talking about. When it says, someone else will take his place of leadership. And of course, Judas was replaced. Uh, in the first chapter of Acts, we see how that, how that all worked out. And we see this, this verse from, from the Psalms as a, an Old Testament prophecy of that happening. And so, all of these guys were part of the plan, including Judas the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. It was all part of the plan because it was announced that there was going to be one like that, working from within the camp, working against the ministry of Jesus. That didn't stop Jesus. Neither did the accusations that were being made about him as he was, as he was sharing his ministry. And that's what we want to um, look at now for a few minutes as we go into this crowded house. Wherever Jesus went at this time in his ministry, there was a crowd. And why wouldn't there be? There were a lot of sick people around. There were a lot of demon-possessed people around at that time in, in that place. And so he was ministering to them, and the word was getting out. The people were crowding. So crowded, and notice the, the, the mention of, uh, of eating. That's something that we all need to do. That's something that we all like to do. That's something that's been a part of the church from before its foundation. All right? And here, said they couldn't even eat. And that word got back to his people. It, it wasn't necessarily his immediate family in this in this first reference, although his immediate family will be coming uh, in the section that we're going to um, talk about next week. But it's, it's, some of his people came, and they said, "Hey, Jesus, there's something wrong with you. You're you're you care so much about all these people that need help. You're not even thinking about yourself. You, there there must be something wrong with you." 
you know, being attacked from close in and then being attacked from the, the leaders from Jerusalem who came up to check him out. And what their, what their final conclusion was, was a very costly one for them. Because they said, what he's doing here, we've got an answer for it. We can explain it now because people are saying, what, what's the deal here? I mean, look at what he's doing. Instead of looking at the word of God, which they knew, and seeing all the things that he was doing as fulfillment of what the Old Testament said that he would do, which is exactly what he's doing, none of this was done in secret. Instead of receiving him as the Messiah, as the Messiah was presented in the Old Testament, they said, here's the answer. He's filled with Beelzebub, an ancient false god of the, of the Palestinians. He's filled with him. That's how he's doing this stuff. And Jesus didn't let that ride. He immediately started quoting Abraham Lincoln. Okay, I'm glad you're paying attention. All right. Abraham, obviously Abraham Lincoln quoted him. But he immediately went into the use of the parable. And again, remember, and we're going to go into some more parables in the near future here in the Gospel of Mark. Remember this. Parables are always proving a point, but they're also a statement of judgment. The reason he spoke in parables to the Israelites, was because they were slow to listen, they weren't paying attention, and so he spoke in this way, in this sort of clouded way, as a judgment against them. So he's about ready to make a very serious judgment on them, but he starts by speaking in parables. And he, and he explains the, the, you know, the circumstances. Why, if, if Satan was in me, why would I be casting out Satan? That doesn't make sense. What you're saying is ridiculous. But the fact is, I'm working against Satan. When he makes that statement about how can the, you know, how can the, the, the strong man, you know, be attacked unless somebody comes in and, and ties him up. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. That's exactly what Jesus was doing in his ministry against Satan with all of these demon-possessed people. That's why he also gave his, his disciples that authority to cast out those demons. They were tying up that strong man who held all these people captive. He was coming into, into Israel to free them. To free them from Satan, in, 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 some, in some examples, literally free them from Satan. These people who were demon-possessed. He was coming to free them. He was also coming to free them from these teachers of the law who were holding them captive to a system that they had set up for themselves to put them in positions of authority, to put them in positions of a power. And, to, and he was trying to, to free them from them so that they could see the word of God as it was given so that they could have the life that only he could provide for them as the Messiah. Remember, they... They were, they had the opportunity, these, these teachers of the law, to receive him. He was doing everything that the Old Testament said he was going to do. You remember when John the Baptist started wondering, as, as things weren't working out just exactly like he thought they would, he sent, he sent some of his disciples, Jesus says, hey, are you really him? 
You know, early on when you when you started doing this stuff, I thought you were him, but it's kind of taking a while. It's kind of going slow. Are you really him? At least John was looking in the right direction. He was saying, "Yes, the Word of God shows that you're, you know, that you're doing the things that the Messiah is supposed to do." Are we on the right track? And remember Jesus' response? Again, go tell him what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing is exactly what was prophesied that I would do. I'm preaching the good news to the poor. I'm healing the sick. And I'm casting out demons. I'm doing these things. Those are all things that point to me being the Son of God. That point to me being the Messiah. Point to me being the one who can give life. But he also represents himself... And he doesn't do this often in his earthly ministry. But he also represents himself as the judge. Because here he lets those teachers of the law know, what you guys have done is more than a little error. You've committed the only sin that will never be forgiven. All the other things that people can do, if they repent and they turn to Christ, they can be forgiven. But to say that he has a demon is to say that the Holy Spirit is satanic. And that is not going to be forgiven. That's a very sobering thought. So it's a, it's a very harsh statement. It's a very harsh truth. But it reminds us again, remember Mark's showing us who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't play around. He is the truth. He knows the truth. He presents the truth. And sometimes the truth is very harsh. And this is one of those times. He didn't back away. He didn't say, no, I know you guys are just a little confused. No, he knew they were evil. And what they were saying about him was more than saying something about him. They were saying something about the Holy Spirit who was in him. Remember, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all together, all one. And so... When they were making this accusation against him, they were accusing the Holy Spirit of being demonic, of being a demon himself. And that, he said, would never be forgiven. It, it's, a, it's a very unique phrase that he uses here. That is an eternal sin. And woe to anybody who would do that now. Thank the Lord, he overcame these accusations even to, after his death, rising again from the dead, to prove to, uh, to us, to everybody who, who believes, to let us know that by his resurrection, he is letting us know that everything that he said is true. And so while there is this sin that can't be forgiven, it also reminds us that every other sin that we've ever committed can be forgiven. And so this is a statement of judgment. It's also a statement of great grace. Even this morning, I hope that, that all of us, as we were singing these songs of praise that we're singing, I hope that all of us at some point or another in that singing saw something of us falling short of God's standard, of God's ideal. That's one of the, that's one of the purposes of coming together and singing praise to God is recognizing, oh, wait a minute. I'm not doing what I just sang. I'm not living up to what I just sang to God. 
And when that happens, and it should happen regularly, if we're being honest with ourselves, when that happens, even as you continue singing, make that a time of confession. Make that a time of celebrating the truth that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let that happen as we're singing these songs of praise to God. I don't know if that hit anybody like it did me this morning when we were singing the song about him knowing all of our ways. For me, that was just like a a flashlight all of a sudden just on me and saying, wait a minute. And, And I thought of a couple things that I was doing or had done recently that I was saying, maybe he doesn't know about it. That's ridiculous. I'm a pastor. I can have that thought. No, everything that we do. Now, the, the song was written as, as a means of encouragement. You know, he's with us even in the tough times and all those kind of things, which is also very true. But the song is also a reminder of, of the exposure that those of us who believe in him have when we recognize that he sees everything that we do. And he cares about everything that we do. And by his grace, when we recognize that we have done something or thought something that doesn't go along with what he wants, that we can confess that and he will immediately forgive us of our sins and cleanse us and restore our fellowship with him. As he describes in that statement in 1 John 1.9. What a blessing. So as hard as it is for us to see him as judge and, and letting these men know that have made this announcement about him, letting them know that what they have done will never be forgiven. There is no hope for these guys any more than there was hope for Judas Iscariot. There's no hope for these guys. But there's hope for everybody else who hasn't committed that sin, who will put their trust in him, who will believe in him, who will turn to him when the word of God exposes their sin. Because remember, forgiveness doesn't just take place the day that we receive Christ. Forgiveness takes place every time we recognize our need for forgiveness because of our sin. And that's a regular thing that we need to be a part of. Not just on Sunday mornings when we're singing praise, as I meant, when I mentioned, but whenever we're reading the Word of God, whenever our minds are brought to the Word of God that exposes something that we're doing or thinking or saying. We live in this wonderful grace that God has poured into our lives. And this statement of judgment shows us a picture of that grace. And so, while it's it's, it's very astounding to hear Jesus make mention of a judgment like this, it's also very refreshing to remember that every other sin can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. So as we think about that, if, if, there's a, if there's a sin in your mind right now that you haven't taken care of with him, that you haven't confessed to him, that you haven't brought to him, remember, you're not, you're not bringing it to him to bring it to his attention. He knows about it. He's well aware of it. We bring it to him as confession, as a recognition that we have gone against what he wants us to do, say, or think in our lives. And as we confess that sin, the word of God is true. He will do what he says He says he is faithful and just. In other words, he's required to do this. By his own character, by his own nature, by his own attributes, he's required to forgive us because he's faithful and just. He's faithful to us 
that no matter what it is we've done, other than blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, as he, in, in, in other words, saying that Jesus was himself filled with, with Satan, other than that, every sin that we confess to him will be forgiven because he is faithful. And then it says he's just. And that's a reminder that all of our sins were put on Jesus when he died on the cross. Justice was fulfilled in that moment. Because see, sin pays its wage. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Every sin requires justice. Requires judgment. That justice was fulfilled on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins because of who he is. And forgive us and, and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And so when we see this statement of judgment, let's also remember his grace and glory in the fact that we can be forgiven. Now, there may be somebody here, somebody that's, that's with us online, that hasn't ever been forgiven of their sins. Didn't even know that was a possibility. Thought that maybe your sins were too much for God to forgive. Well, let today be the day that you recognize that you can also be forgiven. Not because you're good enough. Not because you're in church today or, or, or tuning into church today. But because of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. That every one of us who put our trust in him, who believe in him, as these teachers of the law could have done prior to their judgment, prior to their false thinking, prior to their accusation, if they would have just looked at the word of God and said, this is him. I believe in you. I believe in what you're going to do for me. As the word of God said what he was going to do. They could have done that. They could have been forgiven. The same thing is true for all of us. If we put our trust in him, if we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the perfect one who came into this world to forgive us of our sins, to die for us, and then rise again to give all of us who believe eternal life, we have that gift, we have that promise, we have that guarantee. And I would encourage you today, if you've never been forgiven of your sins, turn to him today to be forgiven. He will do that. Here he makes the announcement. He will forgive all of our sins. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it amazes us to think that you would use people, sinful people like us, to do your will, to do your work to be with you, to share your word with others. And we thank you for those 12 that you chose and then the one that you replaced Judas with and for the, the important role that they have played and that they will play in our lives. We thank you the, for your word which comes to us through them. And we thank you for the power that you attach to it, because it is your word. And we want to thank you for the forgiveness of sins, 
which that word announces, which is available to every single person who believes in you. Father, we pray for those who are still holding back on that, who are still thinking that sounds too easy, that doesn't sound just. Help them to see that that justice was accomplished when Jesus took upon himself all the sins of the world. One who never sinned, one who didn't deserve the punishment, who didn't deserve the wages, but took them on our behalf. Help them to see that justice has been served. And if they hold out to face your justice alone, apart from Jesus, that they will be condemned because they're rejecting your only way of being forgiven. Give them the wisdom, give them the faith, give them the courage to believe in Jesus today. And Father, we thank you that as you used the apostles in the, in the earthly ministry, that you continue to use people in, in our earthly ministries today. And we pray that you would use us today, those of us who believe. Use us to share this good news. This good news of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. This good news of your grace. Father, use us. We pray that you'd use Maggie and Sam in Zambia and Madagascar. We also pray that you'd use all of us, wherever we are, today and this week, that we would shine brightly for you. Remind us of the glory of this gospel, of this good news that you've given us, not only to believe, but also to share. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.